on and filling out your connection card, you can just hit send, and that'll get exactly where it needs to get to. Uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. This is, we're in like Christmas week. I can't believe it. So I want to say hello to everyone here. Hello to everybody who's joining us on Facebook Live and, uh, and YouTube. It's good to have you worshiping with us. Um, excited about Christmas. Excited about, uh, we got some great stuff planned for our Christmas Eve services. You know, two identical services, five and seven. Uh, the seven o'clock is going to be live streamed. And uh, we really do have, some, have some, some cool stuff planned. So I hope that you'll either be joining us in person or that you will, uh, you'll join us uh, on, on the live stream. If you're going to come in person, just if you could even like today or even right now, uh, go ahead and register through the Eventbrite. You can find it on you know, our website, all the places that, uh, that you can register for things and let us know kind of what to expect. Um, you know, I'm also, I'll tell you, I'm excited. Uh, you know, Marianne was talking about our Christmas offering, and you got to see the video from Craig Simonian, uh, who, you know, about almost 20 years ago went out and planted a church from here, someone I've known for a long time, excited about what he's doing in Armenia. Uh, we talked about, you know, the, the, uh, the Judique, the, um, uh, the orphanage for kids with, with real special needs. And, I, you know, and it's not an exaggeration to say that a lot of these kids wouldn't be alive if it wasn't, wasn't for that home. And then uh, we also talked about our food bank. So listen, here, here's the deal with our food bank, right? So this week, on Wednesday, we got a tractor trailer with like almost 1,200 boxes of food. On Friday, we got two tractor trailers. So like the one track, the second tractor trailer had to wait like an hour while the first tractor trailer was being, was being cleared out and the food was being distributed. And then, uh, and then on Tuesday, we've got another tractor trailer coming. So that's going to mean 4,800 boxes of food in one week. I mean, that's insane. That's crazy. That's like that kind of gives me a little bit of a sense of like how the disciples felt with the fish and the loaves multiplying, even though it's the USDA, it's not like Jesus, you know, multi- but it still is like, man, this is a lot of food. This is really amazing. And so I hope that you will all be prayerfully considering what you can contribute to our Christmas offering, because I'm, I'm just hoping that we're going to be able to, to bless all these ministries in, in ways that are really going to make a significant difference uh, for these ministries in the year ahead. Uh, and so you can, you can give, just drop down on push pay you know there's a there's a uh you can choose christmas offering uh, i think you know on christmas eve anyone who gives it's just going to have it be all for the christmas offering but uh, we're excited about the opportunity that we have to be a blessing to so many wonderful ministries so we are in the middle of a series where we are looking at the gifts of the three wise men the three magi uh well three you know tradition says three and so we don't really know exactly how many magi there were or wise men there were. I think tradition says three. Tradition even like gives names to them. And, and, uh, but we, we just, I guess they just kind of say, well, there's three gifts and it's rude to show up somewhere without a gift. So it must have been three. But it could have been more. Uh, but what we do know is that they traveled a far distance from the east. So probably Persia, Babylon, Mesopotamia, one of those places. And, uh, and they came because they, they were astrologers, they were, they were wealthy, they were powerful. I'm sure, you know, whether it was three or more, they had an entourage. And, uh, and they, wanted to, they wanted to not only acknowledge the one, the, the king of the Jews that was to be born, they wanted to worship this, this future king, this king. Uh, and so it shows that they knew something about the, the uniqueness, the specialness of this, of this baby that was born. Um, 
Now, you know, the traditional manger scene, I have a picture here of a traditional manger scene. I didn't notice when I did this on my computer, I didn't see that stamp. So it kind of shows up a little bit more on the big screen. But, but you guys, I'm sure, you know, have one of these in your house, maybe on your mantle, underneath your tree, on your front lawn. How many of you at some point, like, played one of these characters in a Christmas play? How many? How many of us? Go ahead. I'm not going to make you do anything. I'm not going to make you come up and reenact it or anything, so don't worry. It's safe. But uh, yeah, maybe you were, you know, you might have been Mary. Maybe you were Joseph, an angel, a shepherd. I always felt bad for the kids who were like the donkey, you know, but you got you to gotta fill the whole thing out. But the thing is, like in this, you see the wise men are here, like the night Jesus was born at the major. They, they weren't. Like we kind of know that they didn't show up that night. The shepherds, I think, did. But the wise men, they came afterwards uh, when Mary and Joseph had settled down in a house somewhere in Bethlehem for, I guess, to recover from the birth. Could have been months afterwards. Some people speculate, historians, that it could have been even, even further away from the birth. But what we do know is that they brought gifts with them. And so Matthew 2, chapter 10 to 11, it says, after, remember, they went to Herod, and they're like, hey, where's this king? Thinking like, hey, you Israelites, you're expecting this king. You should be ready and excited. Where's he at? And they're like, what are you talking about? And then Herod, you know, wanted, was like, oh, tell me where he is, because I want to go worship him, when really what he wanted to do was wanted to, to kill him, because he saw him as a rival, as a threat to the throne. So anyway, verse 10, it says, when they saw the star... They were overjoyed on coming to the house. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So these were, you know, in our time, it would be kind of unusual to get these gifts, but, but they were incredibly valuable. Uh, well, the gold, I guess, you know, if somebody's going to give, you're going to get gold for Christmas, you're probably going to be happy about that, because that's remained, you know, something that's very valuable. But frankincense and myrrh were, you know, they, they ha- each had like very unique purposes. They were worth a lot of money. I, I think that maybe, because what was going to happen shortly after this is that Mary and Joseph and Jesus were going to flee to Egypt to escape Herod. And I wonder if maybe these gifts kind of helped, because they were poor, Mary and Joseph were poor, might have funded their, their flight to Egypt because they lived there for a little while. Um, but anyway, we've been talking in this series, this Christmas Advent season, uh, series, about these three gifts, because not only were they valuable, they're also prophetic. So each gift says something about Jesus, says something about what he was sent to do, says something about his mission, about his purpose. And so we talked last week about frankincense, and we said that frankincense is something that was used in worship. It was used when the, when the high priests would perform sacrifices for the Israelites. So we talked about Jesus, our high priest, and we talked about how Jesus made a way so that sinful human beings could come into the presence of a holy God. And we talked about how he not only made a way for us, he sympathizes with our weakness. Whatever we felt, he's felt. Wherever we's hurt, we've been hurt, he's been hurt. Wherever we've struggled, he's struggled. And so he's a high priest who knows about us, who cares about us, has gone through what we've gone through so we can turn to him for help. We're going to talk on Christmas Eve about gold. And how gold represents the kingship of Jesus. That this little baby that we're celebrating, that we're remembering at this time, is the king of kings and lord of lords. And so as I said, we've got a lot of really special, wonderful things planned on Christmas Eve. So I hope you'll join us in person or, or live stream. And what I want to talk about today is myrrh. 
Myrrh, which represents Jesus as the suffering servant or the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, myrrh is, was a very valuable substance. Uh, lots of different uses. It's mentioned like 17 different times in the Bible. Um, and you can, I don't know if any, anybody here into essential oils. I don't, I know some people are, some hands, okay, some hands went up and those hands went up fast. They're like, yes, essential oils, come talk to me after the service. No, <laughs> but, uh, but I know some people are really into that. It does all sorts of things. You can get myrrh when I was like, I was going to put a picture up of myrrh, but I was like, I don't need to do that. But there's all these like bottles of, of myrrh as an essential oil that you can get now. But back in Jesus's time, one of the primary uses of myrrh was to prepare a body for burial was to like embalm a body. So when Jesus was hastily taken down from the cross because they wanted to get him ready and everything before the Sabbath, they treated his body with myrrh. And, uh, and so what I want to do today is I want us to look at Isaiah chapter 53. Because Isaiah chapter 53 is this really powerful passage of Scripture that shows how much Jesus, you don't have to put it up yet, we'll read through it in a moment, but shows how much Jesus suffered on our behalf, really describes the extent, the level of his suffering. Now, if you're not familiar with Isaiah 53, what's amazing about Isaiah 53 is that it was written 700 years before Jesus died on the cross. It was written by the prophet Isaiah, and there's so, it's such a vivid description of what Jesus went through I think, and I, you know, I don't know how prophets received their prophecies. It might have been different, you know, different people maybe received it in different ways. My guess is that Isaiah, because it's so descriptive, I think Isaiah like saw it. I think he had a vision of this thing that was going to happen because there's some things that he mentions that he just, you know, no way, no way he could have known about these, about these things. It really is one of the most amazing prophecies in Scripture. So I'm going to read it, uh, the whole thing. It's kind of more Scripture than I would normally read at one time in a, in a sermon, but I think it's important for us to, to just kind of enter into everything that this says, Then we're going to break it down a little bit. Go ahead and put the, put the verse up on the screen. Isaiah 53, remember, written 700 years before, before Jesus, says, uh, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all." He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protest, protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the Lord will prosper in his hands, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. 
After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressions. So concerning this baby... This baby who was born to die. Three things. What I want to walk us through here this morning. Three things. I want us to talk about the problem that we have, the price that Jesus paid, and what our response should be. So first off, our problem. Our problem. It says in uh, Isaiah 53, verse 6, it says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So, Isaiah here says that we're sheep. And so we know sheep are really cute. They're fluffy. They're cute little animals. But this was not a compliment. When the Bible calls us sheep, it's not a compliment. Now, if, if, if like Isaiah said that we were like lions, you know, we were like strong and majestic, that'd be pretty cool. Or like an eagle, you know, like soaring, like an eagle. Or, I mean, even like a dolphin, you know, dolphins, they swim fast. They're intelligent. But, but it says we're, we're sheep. And when it comes to animals, sheep was like, you know, they were like not the brightest color in the crayon box. And, uh, and nobody, you can't train a sheep, right? No one has ever you know, said to you, oh, come to my farm and let me show you my trained sheep. Now, we all live in North Jersey. We probably don't know anybody who has a farm. But, but if you did, no one said, hey, look what my sheep can do. Sit, sheep. That was, that was a dangerous sentence. I got through it. I got through it. But that could have gone wrong. That could have really gone bad. But, but you never go to the circus and see, like, trained sheep. That's not a thing. Because, you know, lots of other animals can learn lots of stuff. But sheep, they're not one of them. So it's not a compliment. Sheep were weak. They were witless. And they were wayward. So sheep were weak. They had absolutely no natural defenses. And they had a lot of predators, right? Because, they're you know, sheep is like a tasty, tasty treat. But they had no, they didn't have like sharp claws. They didn't have sharp teeth. They didn't run fast. They, they were completely dependent upon the shepherd for protection or else the wolves and the, the bears, whatever else was going was gonna to get them. And the thing about sheep, they didn't even like, if there was a wolf, if there was a predator, like it would make sense if they would like run in different directions, but they wouldn't even do that. What sheep would do when there was danger is they would huddle up together, which was like saying, okay, Mr. Wolf, come and just like have your pick here. Whichever one looks the tastiest, come and, come and get us. Get a couple of us. So they were, they were weak. They were witless. Sheep do not think for themselves. They follow the crowd. You've heard the expression, don't be a sheep. You know, it means don't, don't just do what everyone else is doing. They, you know, oh, this is what everyone else is wearing, so I'm going to wear it. This is what everyone else thinks about this or about that, so it's what I'm going to think about this. Sheep, they follow the crowd. Now, this is a true story. You can Google it. In 2005 in Turkey, there was a large flock of sheep, 1,500 sheep. And so one after the other, after the other, after the other, they followed each other off of a cliff. Like all 1,500 just went, you know, the first couple went over the cliff, and I was like, oh, this seems like a good thing to do. Let's go over the cliff. You would think that after the first, like, few went over, they'd be like, this is not a good idea. Let's not do this. But sheep are witless, so they, they followed. Now, now, out of the 1,500 sheep that went over the cliff, 1,100 survived. 
And the reason the 1100 survived is because the first 400 created, and this, again, you could check this out on YouTube. I'm not making this up. They created a sheet pillow. So when the others came over, they landed on the first 400 that were not quite as fortunate. And so sheep, they're witless and they're wayward. Right? Sheep are prone to wander. Right? Jesus told the parable of the sheep that wandered off, and everyone who would have heard them, like, yeah, that's what sheep do. They wander off. Where are you going, little sheep? Oh, I'm just going to wander off. I'm just going to wander off over here. I'm going to find my happiness over here. Ooh, look, look, shoes. I'm going to buy these shoes. They'll bring me happiness. Nope, just put me in more debt. I'm going to wander over here. And oh, this guy, he's not a follower of Jesus. I caught him in a couple of lies, but I'm going to have a relationship with him. He's going to, I'm going to find my happiness here. Nope, it just broke your heart. Or I'm going to follow over here, have this experience. I'm going to find what I need. Nope, just more hurt for your life. You know what? When Jesus, when Isaiah and Jesus, when, when they say we're like sheep, they're not saying we're amazing. Saying we have issues. It's saying we need a lot of help. I, I don't know if you remember last week I was talking about Jesus or high priest. And, and one of the biggest issues that humanity has wrestled with for thousands of years that the Bible deals with, like kind of the major issue in the Old Testament, the New Testament, is how can sinful people come into the presence of a holy God, right? And Jesus, our high priest, opened up the way. Now, here, here's the thing that I've, that I've learned. You know, I'm going to give you some, some 21st century preacher things that I've learned. Um, people, unchurched people, are not walking around these days saying, how can I, a sinful person, come into the presence of a holy God? Right? We've kind of lost the concept of sin. We, honestly, people now probably think like, well, just, you know, if God's there, I'll just talk to him. I mean, God's lucky to have me. What's up, God? How's it going, God? We've lost that concept of, of sin and holiness. But, but one of the things, though, that, that, that we've discovered here that I think helps us be a church that's actually pretty good at helping unchurched people find a relationship with God. Many of you, you came here kind of like, I don't you know, somebody dragged you here, you came here, and, and you, you were like, oh, this, this seems helpful, this seems good, this seems, I think I want to come back. And, uh, and, and it's, it's because we've kind of come to realize people are not walking around saying, how can I, a sinful person, come into the presence of a holy God? But what we are aware of, like everyone is aware of, is I'm a sheep. Now, you may not walk around and say, I'm a sheep, but you know that you're weak. You know that there are things that we deal with, like pandemics or whatever it is, that are like bigger than us and are going to crush us, and they produce anxiety, and we need help. We know that we can tend to be a little bit witless. You know, we tend to like kind of go with the crowd, and, and we want to be authentic, and we just, you know, we see that we're just kind of doing things that we don't want to do. We know that we're wayward. We know that we've gone down all these roads and all these paths thinking, oh, this is going to bring me happiness. Nope, didn't work out. This is going to bring me happiness. Nope, didn't work out. And so what I've discovered is the more I talk about Jesus, our shepherd, the more I say, you know, things like a phrase that I say all the time is Jesus makes life better and makes you better at life, is that, you know, Jesus is for you and Jesus wants to help you in your life. Following Jesus will bring value to your life in practical ways. And oh, by the way, there is this issue of sin that maybe, you, you know, isn't high up on your radar screen, but let's talk about that too. And so that's why, listen, we always encourage you to invite people to come to church with you, uh, invite people, if somebody's, you know, if they feel comfortable to come to an in-person service, invite them to come with you on Christmas Eve. At least, you know, share the live stream with them because you never know what God is going to do. And so the problem that we have is we are sheep who have lost our way. The price Jesus paid, Isaiah 53, 
Verses 3 to 5, let me read it again. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Now, here's the thing. I believe that once we understand the magnitude of what Jesus has done for us. Once we realize that everything that he did for us comes out of the depths of his love for us, that we realize who it is we're talking about. That this is Jesus, the one who created all things, the perfect son of God, the one who was from the beginning, the one who emptied himself, this little baby in a manger, emptied himself, the Bible says, of the privileges of deity. That means he laid aside his omniscience, you know, his ability to know everything, his omnipotency, his ability to do, you know, the, his power and his omnipresence. And he actually just became this little tiny baby. And before that, he was in his mother's womb. When we understand what he's done for us, we're not going to be casual Christians. We're not just going to kind of be like, oh, I'm going to pursue my thing, do my thing, have a little bit of Jesus here and there. When the eyes of our heart are, understand, are opened up to understand that this little baby that's given to us grew up after emptying himself and laying aside the privileges of deity, he grew up and he taught us about the Father. He said, listen, you've got all these wrong ideas about God. I, I, I've, I've been with him from the beginning. Let me tell you what your father is like. And he comforted us, and he strengthened us, and he taught us, and he healed us, and he stood up against oppression and, and the, the religious status quo of his time. When we understand what Jesus has done for us, it changes our lives. When we understand that this little baby grew up to be in the Garden of Gethsemane, and when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, the, right before he got arrested, right before he was crucified, he was facing the, the reality of what was going to come. And he prayed and he said, Father, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. And what the Bible tells us is that Jesus, he sweated drops of blood. And that actually is a physical condition. It's called hemodrosis. And it is a condition in which capillary blood vessels that feed the sweat glands rupture, causing them to exude blood. It occurs under conditions of extreme physical or emotional stress. Now, I'm sure that every single one of us, we've experienced what we would consider extreme stress, right? Have you ever experienced so much stress that you sweated drops of blood? that you experienced hemodrosis. My guess is not anyone that I'm talking to, but this is a real condition. Jesus experienced that much stress, but he still said, not my will, but yours be done. See, when we see that, it changes everything. When we understand that this little baby would grow up to be betrayed by Judas, and we kind of, it kind of loses its effect because we know, oh, Judas, yeah, he's the betrayer. But he was Jesus' close friend. Judas was part of the 12 for like over three years. He shared, broke bread with Jesus every single day. He saw all of the miracles that Jesus did. He actually, along with the other disciples, went out and used Jesus' name to heal the sick and cast out demon, demons, yet he was betrayed by his friend, by Judas. And I'm sure it broke Jesus' heart. When you realize that he, was, that he was arrested, that he was unfairly tried, 
that he was, that he was beaten, that, uh, that uh, there was a cohort. Actually, when it describes Jesus' beatings, it talks about a cohort, and a cohort is 480 soldiers. It's a little overkill. But when you think about Jesus being beaten, you know, he, he has a crown of thorns placed on his head. And then he's, he's beaten, the Bible says, with, with a rod over the head, with the, driving those, those thick, long thorns deeper into his skull. And he's being mocked, and he's scourged, he's whipped. And we know the 39 lashes would take all of the skin off of his back. And we got this, this cohort of 480 soldiers mocking him and beating him. They would, you know, blindfold him and punch him in the face and say, who prophesied? Who hit you? Who hit you? When you realize what it is that he went through, when you realize what it is that he endured, it, it says, too, that his beard was pulled out. They pulled his beard out of his face. And Isaiah, in another place, says that Jesus was so disfigured that you couldn't even tell that he was a man. And when you realize that after suffering this kind of abuse, they, that he had to carry the crossbar, which weighed over 100 pounds, and he had to go about a half a mile to get to the hill at Golgotha, and then once he got there, followed by the, you know, the centurion soldiers leading the 480 soldiers in the cohort, abusing him all along the way, then when he gets, when he gets up there, they lay him down, they drive seven-inch nails into his wrists and into his feet, and they lift him up on the cross, and, and what Jesus had to do for the six hours he was on the cross to get a breath. The only way you could breathe, because there's so much pressure on your chest when you're hanging, you can't breathe. So the only way to breathe is to push yourself up by putting pressure on your feet that has the nails in it, putting pressure on your wrists that have the nails in it, to lift yourself up, to get a breath, and then sink back down. This was for six hours how Jesus had to struggle for every single breath, which is what the reason that, that people would die on the cross. It wasn't they would die because of blood loss. They would die because they would get so tired that they couldn't push themselves up anymore to get a breath, and so they would asphyxiate, which is why the Romans, to speed things along, would break the legs of the people who were on the cross so they couldn't, they couldn't push themselves up. When you realize that this baby that we celebrate, this baby that was given to us, that, that he who knew no sin became sin in some existential way that we don't understand, it was all put on him, all of it. All of the evil, horrible, vile, demonic stuff that human beings have done over centuries, it was all placed on Jesus. The perfect, holy Son of God, the pure, the one who's, who's never sinned, never done it, became sin. And so every single murder, every single rape, every single act of injustice and oppression, every planned genocide, all of it, all of our sins, Every lie that we've committed, every act of cruelty, every act of selfishness, every act of hatred, hatred, all of it was placed on him so that God, in this, again, in this way that we don't understand, that God, the perfect fellowship that Jesus had enjoyed with the Father for all of eternity was broken. So in that moment when Jesus is hanging on the cross, bloodied, physically bloodied, in his soul carrying, becoming the sin bearer, in that moment Jesus looked for his father and he said, why aren't you here with me? Why have you turned away from me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, it says in Mark 15, 23, while Jesus was on the cross, it says, they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. 
So the myrrh that was given to him at his birth was offered to him on the cross. And I think the, the, the prophet Isaiah, I think he saw all of this. He saw the cross. I think it's so interesting because he says they will look upon the one that they have pierced. You know, because I think he saw Jesus lifted up. He saw the nails. What's interesting is they didn't come up with, human beings didn't come up with crucifixion until a few hundred years after Isaiah wrote that. It started in Persia. Then the Romans heard about that and were like, oh, this is a good way to kill people. This is a horrible, painful, terrible thing to do to someone that will make people toe the line and not disobey Rome. But, but Isaiah, humanity hadn't even dreamed this up as a way to execute someone. Isaiah saw it. How did Isaiah know? In Isaiah 53, 9, it says he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. I think Isaiah, I mean, it's amazing. Isaiah saw him dying between two thieves and then saw or understood that wealthy Joseph of Arimathea would be involved in taking Jesus' body down from the cross and would say, let's lay him in my tomb, the tomb of a wealthy man. You know, Isaiah saw all of it. Isaiah 53, verse 10 to 11 says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. You might say, well, Phil, why are we talking about this right before Christmas? This seems like a Good Friday message. This maybe seems like something we talk about at Easter. The reason I think it's important for us to think about this, to talk about this, as we're remembering this baby given to us, this son born to us, is that everything points to the cross. All of it points to the cross. Go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, all the way back to after the fall. And so God is talking to Adam and Eve, and he's trying to talk about the consequences of what just happened. And he talks about their offspring, talks about their seed. And it says, this serpent, this shining one who you just dealt with, he will bruise your seed's heel, but your seed will crush his head. And so what God was talking about, the seed is Jesus. And the time when Satan's head would be crushed was the cross. And so even all the way back in the garden, they were pointing to the cross. When you have the Israelites who were held in bondage to the Egyptians, and the angel of death is going to visit every Egyptian family, and God said to the Jewish people, he said, if you want the angel of death to pass over your house, what you need to do is you need to take the blood of an innocent. You need to take the blood of an innocent animal and you need to put the blood on your doorframe. And it was very specific about where to put the blood. Put it on the top and put it on the sides, forming a cross. And even in that moment, pointing to the cross, pointing to this ultimate thing that God was going to do. Isaiah 53 and elsewhere, God speaking to the prophets, even in the midst of talking about the restoration of Israel and all the incredible things that God was going to do. Remember my servant, the one who's going to be lifted up, the one who's going to suffer. It all pointed to Jesus on the cross. And then you have, you know, after Jesus was born, when, when Mary and Joseph were bringing him to be dedicated in the temple, there was this guy named Simeon. And Simeon's only given a couple, like a paragraph, you know, a verse or two. Simeon was this prophet, and God, and he was a very old man. And God spoke to Simeon and said, hey, you're going to see the Messiah before you die. 
The one that all of Israel has been waiting for, you're going to get to see him. So he's just waiting. He's getting old. He's like, time's running out. When am I going to get to see the Messiah? And then he saw Mary and Joseph coming with the, uh, the baby Jesus. And so God spoke to him and said, there he is. That's the one. And so Simeon went up to Mary and Joseph and Jesus, and he prophesied over Jesus. And he talked about what Jesus was going to do. But then he looked at Mary And he said to Mary, he said, a sword will pierce your own soul too. Because he saw, even in that moment he prophesied over Jesus, he saw the cross. And it's why God had, when the the Magi come and they're giving these gifts, yes, there's a practical reason, maybe to help them get to Egypt when they need to, but it's all prophetic. And myrrh was given, myrrh that was going to be offered to Jesus on the cross, myrrh that was going to be used to prepare his body for burial, because it all points to Jesus' death on the cross. And so what should our response be? What should our response be to all of this? You know, many times Jesus, he pointed to the cross. He said some very explicit things to his disciples about what was going to happen to him. One of the examples is in Luke chapter 9, verse 22. He said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed on the third day be raised to life. Now, when you think about it, could Jesus have been any clearer? Like, honestly, you know, listen, we can make fun of the disciples, but we would have been just as clueless if we were back there. We would have been like the three stooges running around. But I see that. I'm like, how did they miss that? Because they didn't understand. Maybe they thought, oh, he's speaking in a parable, or I don't know, Jesus, sometimes it's hard to understand. But after he rose from the dead, they were like, oh, oh, that's what he was talking about. We get it now. So Jesus prophesied his death, and then immediately after, in the same discourse, verse 23, he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very soul? So so this is our response. Our response to this incredible love is that we say, Jesus, I want to be your disciple. I want to follow you. I want to center my life on you. I don't want jacuzzi Jesus. You know what jacuzzi Jesus is? Jacuzzi Jesus is like we think, oh, okay, I'll have Jesus and he'll make my life a little bit more comfortable. You know, kind of just get to soak in the jacuzzi every now and then. Get my Jesus on and just kind of soak in the jacuzzi. The jacuzzi, jacuzzi. But it's, it, it doesn't give you that option. Yet, because you know what? Jesus is going to make your life better But he's not going to make your life more comfortable. But he is going to make your life better. So we understand that that he is our creator, that he's our sustainer, that he is the one who created all things, that he's the one who emptied himself, that he's the one who sacrificed for us in this way. And we say, no one has ever loved me like this. No one has ever sacrificed for me like this, let alone the Son of God, the creator of all things. And so, Jesus, you are not a hobby. Jesus, you are not an add-on to my life. You're not just like one of the many apps I have. And so I'll just use my Jesus app every now and then. No, you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. I am going to be your disciple. I am going to follow you. All of my dreams are now going to be subordinate to your dreams. All of my purposes are going to be subordinate to your purposes. What I want my life to be about is to lift you up and to glorify you and to tell anyone who will listen through my words 
words and through my deeds the amazing Jesus that is in my life and what he's done for me, he can do for you. See, when our eyes are open to see this, it changes everything. Casual Christianity is not an option. It's kind of, it's hard for us to kind of wrap our head around this. And so there's, a, there's a, an analogy. There's something that happened in history that I think is just, is, is a helpful analogy for us. And it's something that happened during World War II. There was this Catholic priest. His name was Father Maximilian Kolbe. And he was a Polish priest. And he ended up being imprisoned, imprisoned in Auschwitz in the infamous concentration camp because Father Kolbe helped over 2,000 Jews when the, when the Nazis came in and invaded Poland. He and four other priests, they created this kind of like underground railroad and they would hide them, they'd get them out of the city and they're credited with saving over 2,000 uh, Jews. But eventually the Nazis kind of discovered what was going on and Father Kolbe and the four priests that he was working with were all sent to Auschwitz. And so in Auschwitz, they had this policy. They were trying to discourage escapes. And so if somebody escaped, they would say, <clears throat> okay, to everyone who was in the barracks, you know, the friends of the person who escaped, 10 of the people from that same barracks is going to be killed. So in 1941, someone from Father Colby's barracks escaped, or seemingly escaped. Ironically, his body was discovered in a camp latrine a couple days later. But so he didn't actually escape. He just died when he was in the latrine. But the Nazis didn't know that. And so they got everybody from the barracks. They called them out, including Father Colby. And they said, that's it. Now 10 of you are going to die. And they would die in a horrible way. They would be sent to a, to a deprivation chamber where they'd be given no food and no water until they died. And so they randomly picked out 10 people who were going to be sent to that chamber. And, uh, and, and one of the men was this guy named Franciszek. And when Franciszek was, was chosen, he cried, I began sobbing, and he said, my wife, my children, what are they going to do? And at that moment, Father Colby stepped forward. And Father Colby took off his cap and he said, I am a Catholic priest. Let me take his place. I am old. He has a wife and children. And the Nazi commandant didn't know what he was saying. He's like, what is this Polish pig? What does he want? And Father Colby pointed to the condemned Franciszek and he repeated, I am a Catholic priest from Poland. I would take his place because he has a wife and children. And so there was silent for a while, and the, the commandant you know, didn't know what he was going to do, and finally he's like, all right, fine, if that's what you want to do. Probably thinking that it's better to have like a young worker rather than an old worker. And, 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 and uh, Franciszek, who went on to survive Auschwitz and talk about what Father Colby did for him, he said... I could only thank him with my eyes. I was stunned by what happened, the immensity of it. I, the condemned, am to live. And someone else willingly and voluntarily offered his life for mine, and he was a stranger. I never had any time to say anything to Maximilian Colby. I was saved. I owe my entire life to him. And so we were condemned. We were like sheep, and Jesus stepped up. I love, you know, as we sing all these Christmas carols, talks about light coming into darkness. Jesus came into our dark life where there was no purpose, where there was no hope, where, you know, as we were without hope and without God in this world. And Jesus, who was born, who emptied himself of, of all the privileges of deity, died in our place so that we could live. 
so that we could know that the veil has been torn and we can come into the presence of God and we can know that Jesus is never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us and that whatever we go through in life, we are not going to go through it alone because if Jesus loved us enough to do this for us, how much more is he going to be with us right now, today, whatever it is, however you're struggling, whatever you're dealing with, Jesus is with you. You are safe and secure in the kingdom of God and one day, when all of us make that transition and, uh, and our life here on earth is over, Jesus himself, your Savior, your Shepherd, will take you by the hand and will lead you into the kingdom that he has prepared for us, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And when, we, when our eyes are opened up to see this, Jacuzzi Jesus, casual Christianity, it's out the window. It's like, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm going to take all my chips. I'm going to put them in the center of the table. I'm all in on you, Jesus. You are my Lord. You are the one I follow. You are the one I live for. My goal in life now is to know you, and my goal in life is to glorify you. That's what I want to be about. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Galatians 2.20. I don't have the verse. I'll just read it. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. That was Paul's perspective. When you understand what Jesus has done for you, you were on that cross with Jesus. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. I no longer have a claim on my life. My life is no longer about my whims and my dreams and my desires. It's about Jesus' whims, Jesus' dreams, Jesus' desire. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I, my prayer, my hope, is that in some way, just through the Spirit, that the eyes of your heart would be opened up afresh to see how much Jesus loves you. He loves you. He loves the world, but he loves you. He loves you like you're the only one. And he gave himself for you in a way that's physically unimaginable in a way that's psychologically unimaginable, and in a way that's spiritually unimaginable, that moment that he became sin and his father turned away from him. We could never understand what Jesus went through for that. And so our response is, I died on that cross. And the life I now live, what I want it to be about is Jesus living through me. I want to show his love. I want to show his mercy. I want to glorify him. I want to anyone who will listen, I want to let people know through my actions and through my words, I want to let them know about wonderful Jesus who came and rescued me when I was a sheep that had wandered off. He came, the good shepherd. He came and rescued me. He brought me life. I was condemned. I was done. Jesus stepped in and said, I will take his place. I will take her place. And when our eyes are opened up to see that, you know, I just love the parable Jesus told of the pearl of great price. Jesus is the pearl of great price, and we sell everything so we can have that pearl, that our life becomes about knowing him and glorifying him and thanking him every day of our life because of the, the incomprehensible gift that we've received because of Jesus' sacrifice. Let's pray. Let's all stand for a moment. Come, Holy Spirit.
God, I bless your presence here. And Lord, we just stand in awe of you. Lord Jesus, as we think about you as a little baby and just how incredible that you became flesh. But you became flesh so that you could die. Lord, we just want to say thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you. No one has ever loved me the way you love me. No one has ever been there for me the way you've been there for me. No one has ever sacrificed the way you sacrificed for me. And so, Lord, we thank you. Thank you, Jesus. We honor you. We worship you. The one who was born to die, the Lamb of God, takes away my sin. And Lord, wherever we've been wandering, however we've been resisting, however we're unsurrendered, Lord Jesus, in light of your love, in light of the cross, in light of the incarnation, we surrender all, Lord. And the life that we live now, God, by your grace, Lord, may, may it be your life flowing through us. May our life now be lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Whatever burdens you're carrying today, whatever stresses or difficulty or fears that you have, just hold them up right now in light and then look at those things in light of Jesus' love for you. In light of the way that he's loved you to the uttermost, the Bible says. And may you experience God's peace. May you experience the confidence where you just know that you're good. You're good. You're going to be okay. Jesus is with you. Jesus has made a way. He is making a way. He will make a way. I am safe and secure in the kingdom of God. And one day, Jesus, we will see you face to face. And we will worship you. And we will thank you. And we will face-to-face -face express our love to you. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, that's what we're celebrating this Christmas. It's not just like, oh, the tree. We brought a tree in the house. Look, there's a tree right in the house. It's not stockings. It's not Santa. It's not Rudolph. It's all fun. It's fine. But it's Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that we could have eternal life. And I just got to say, if you haven't received that gift yet, I want to give you an opportunity this morning to receive it. You probably opened a lot of Christmas gifts in your life, but this is the greatest gift that anyone could ever receive. And all of these great things that I'm talking about, Jesus, all the things that he's done... 
you've got to respond. All you got to do is accept this free gift that God has for you through Jesus. And so if you're ready to accept that free gift, just keep your eyes closed and pray this prayer. The word's not a magic incantation. It's just maybe something that's expressing your heart. But say something like, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you died on the cross for me. Thank you that you laid aside the privileges of deity for me. I accept your free gift of salvation. Come and live inside of me through your Holy Spirit. Forgive all of my sins. And from here on out, I want to follow you. I want to glorify you. So I give you my dreams. I want your dreams. I give you my will. And I say from here on out, I want your will. You are the Lord of my life. Help me to follow you. Just keep your eyes closed. But if you prayed that prayer, just raise your hand. I just want to see if you, if you prayed that prayer. Raise your hand. Okay, awesome. I'm going to ask you to do one other thing. Take out your phone. If you prayed that prayer, and if you prayed that prayer online as well, and text follow to 201-584-7188. If you do that, Pastor Charles is going to reach out to you this week, and he's going to celebrate with you because the Bible says anyone who gives their life to Jesus says the angels in heaven rejoice. And so the angels in heaven are rejoicing right now. We want to rejoice with you and to ask how we can pray for you, how we can support you, how can we help you at this time as you begin the process of, of following Jesus. We're going we're gonna to close the service, and, and before I do that, I just want to invite you, those of you who are here in the room, uh, we're going to have a prayer ministry team. They're going to be over here to my right in this area. Masks are going to be on. Six feet's going to be, uh, you know, is going to be enforced. But if you have anything that you need prayer for today, we want to pray for you. If Maybe if you feel like, listen, maybe some of you might feel that just there's been distractions, there's been things, and, and maybe if you're honest, your, your love, your commitment, it's just kind of grown a little cold. And we want to pray for God to just light the fire again. Just open up the eyes of your heart afresh to see how much he loves you, to see how good he is, to see how real he is. We want to pray for you about that, whatever it is. Maybe, you know what, it's just you've been overwhelmed by, by different storms and challenges and difficulties. Whatever burden you're carrying, let somebody pray with you. And together you can like lay those burdens down at the feet of Jesus. And I believe that through God's Spirit, you're going to experience a lightness. You're going to experience uh, a peace. You're going to experience a, a, a lifting of that burden. Because God's presence is here. I can just sense His presence right now in this room. And, and so whatever your needs are, however you want prayer, come right over here. I see some of the prayer people already making their way over there. They would love to have the opportunity to pray for you. I hope that we will see many of you uh, on Christmas Eve, either here at 5 or 7, online at 7. Uh, Merry Christmas, and God bless you.